1959, John Murray, a Scottish systematic theologian at Westminster Theological Seminary, published the first volume of his commentary on the Book of Romans, one that John Piper would later call the most beautiful commentary ever written. In the more than 60 years since it first appeared, Murray's commentary has changed the way scores of pastors and teachers read and teach the Bible, helping to draw many readers and congregations into deeper communion with their Savior. Now, Westminster Seminary Press has reprinted John Murray's commentary on Romans in a beautiful new hardcover edition updated with a new introduction by Sinclair Ferguson. I'm your host, John Curry, professor of pastoral theology at Westminster. In this podcast, we'll revisit the classic commentary with some of the pastors and teachers it has influenced the most. Along the way, we'll explore how Paul's letter to the Romans and John Murray's commentary on that letter help us to understand, teach, and preach Romans in the present day. I hope you'll join me as we explore together the epistle to the Romans. Well, gentlemen, welcome. It's great to be with you and have this opportunity to talk about uh, the reissuing of John Murray's commentary on the Epistle to the Romans. I'm so glad that you decided to join us and we'll get to have this conversation about the commentary itself, but also about the Book of Romans and the theology of the Book of Romans and what that teaches us and how that helps the church. Of course, John Murray, professor of systematic theology here at Westminster for 36 years. He's born in Badby, Scotland. Uh, comes to Princeton, teaches at Princeton for a year, and then he joins J. Gresham Machen and the rest of the founding faculty here uh, in 1930. And one of the things that we hear about Murray is his great godliness. Uh, as he's sort of legendary for all sorts of stories, some of them funny, but uh, the reputation that he had amongst the faculty was he was really an anchor for godliness amongst the faculty. We also know of his exegetical method, his rigorous exegesis that moved to theology, and which is reflected in uh, his commentary on the Epistle to the Romans. And so, Dave, let me turn to you first, Dr. David Garner, uh, uh, Chief Academic Officer here at Westminster, Professor of Systematic Theology. You've been here 16 years, and um, you uh, are a student of the Book of Romans, particularly adoption in the Book of Romans, as we're going to look at that a little bit later. But give us an orientation to the Epistle to the Romans itself. Why is it such an important book in the history of the church and theologically for the reform movement? So the first thing I would say is that this has been a book that has been, of course, recognized to the church as the great treatise of the gospel of God and his son, Jesus Christ. And with good reason, it's been given that acclaim. And I think Murray's commentary on it, the elegant, scholarly, devout way in which he presents it, I think reflects not only the, the theological content and the, the exegesis um, and careful language that Paul uses, but the spirit of it, the tone of it, um, is eminently relevant to all peoples of all ages. It's a book that, uh, of course, we often think of justification by faith being prominent in, in this book, and it certainly is, but we will see, and I think in our conversation later, issues of sanctification and definitive sanctification, of glorification, of adoption, 
and frankly, the way in which God is at work on the stage of history in dealing with Israel as a people in the Old Covenant and its relationship to the New Covenant people of God and how we're to, to think about that. And then the, the glorious way in chapters 12 and going to the end of the book of the, the implications of that gospel, of us being united to Christ the what and the marvelous so what. And again, in this commentary of Murray's, I think it's unparalleled in its exposition of the way in which the Apostle Paul addresses those things. Yeah, yeah well put, thanks very much. Well, let me turn uh, to you, Scott, uh, Dr. Oliphant. You've been professor of apologetics and systematic theology here at Westminster for over 30 years, numerous books yourself, uh, but you're really committed to the methodology that was passed down to us uh, by John Murray and others, uh, his successor, Dr. Gaffin. And, uh, could you talk to us a little bit about this commentary on a New Testament book, an exposition by a systematic theologian? That says something about the methodology that Murray employed and that we try to honor and continue here at Westminster Seminary. Talk to us about the methodology. Yeah, that's very important. Um, one of the things that's been a hallmark here since Murray's time uh, has been the fact that our systematic theology has to come from biblical data. And that means there has to be exegesis at the root of everything that we say. <clears throat> I, I wouldn't say that that's the case in every systematic theologian out there, um, sometimes it's a bit more historical, and the idea is if you can just gather enough historical resources, then you've got the truth. That's not a good way to proceed. Murray recognized that you have to start with the exegesis of Scripture. And, you know, I remember um, someone telling me, it was in Murray's class, that there were sometimes complaints about Murray's class because they were saying, when are we going to get out of the Greek text? I thought this was systematic <laughs> theology. <clears throat> and the, the answer was, you won't get out of the Greek text or the Hebrew because that's what Murray's committed to in order to make his systematic theological point. Um, we, we see that as, as part of our tradition. Uh, Murray was adamant about it. He was so adamant about it <clears throat> then that when uh, Dr. Van Til was asked to be a systematic theologian at Calvin, Murray advised him not to do it because he said, you really have to be a master of exegesis in order to take that role. And that's by Van Til's own admission. <clears throat> Murray gave him that counsel. <clears throat> so he was, <clears throat> he was serious about, about the text. And I think what that uh, shows us is this is not going to be the standard way to think about systematic theology. The categories are not going to be necessarily those that are embedded in history except insofar as those embedded categories reflect what Scripture actually teaches. That's going to be a bit of a different product than what you get, for example, in a pure historical theology. So I think it's very important. It's one of the reasons why when I was here as a student, I had Dr. Gaffin for New Testament. When I came back here in the 1990s, Dr. Gaffin was in systematic yeah. theology. Yeah. It's one of the few places where you can have the movement mm -hmm. back and forth because we see these as relatively seamless, the same sort of methodological procedure with perhaps different emphases in the conclusions. It's what made Murray's, um, Murray's teaching so rich. I, I have a copy. Somebody give me a copy of Murray's Doctrine of God notes. And it's just a thrill to go through it because you can see what he's doing. He's just pouring over the text and coming to conclusions, and he's not at all concerned in his conclusions about what everybody else has said. He's not ignorant of all that. 
but it's not the primary focus. The primary focus is what has the Lord said about this and about that about himself? And it, and it starts with the text and it ends with the text. That is massively important. Mm -hmm. Boy, I wish we had more time. That is massively important today for people to understand about systematic theology. I mean, I don't know what the retrieval movement is exactly, but unless the retrieval movement has as its foundation ad fontis going to the sources of Scripture, it's a monumental waste of time. And Murray knew that. Murray knew that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's uh, something that sets Murray apart. It set Westminster apart in terms of the way we do systematic theology. Yeah. yeah, John, I would even add to that just in the way in which Murray frames systematic theology depending on exegesis, that systematic theology's lifeblood is in exegesis. So insofar as it departs the text and being grounded in the text, it loses its reason for existence. Mm -hmm. And coupled with that is the way in which that path from text to theology prepares the preacher, because every preacher is a systematic theologian. It's not a question of whether or not he is a systematician. It's whether his system is actually grounded in Scripture. And Murray self-consciously understood that tie from text to theology to preaching. And that is core to what is actually what making this book so valuable because it is a preacher's treasure. Yeah, that's a great point, a great yeah. point. Yeah, thanks for that, David. Mark, let me turn to you, Dr. Mark Garcia, your second year of teaching systematic theology here at Westminster, professor of systematic theology and the president of the Greystone Theological Institute. So let us ask you a little bit about the methodology. Uh, Dave has alluded to the importance of it. Why is Murray's methodology so important? And maybe tell us a little bit about what's the tradition he's in? Who is he leaning on? Who did he learn from? In fact, he is participating in a tradition. And you asked a, you asked a really good question. What does a retrieval movement really look like? And it looks like a thousand different things at the moment. I would love to see it look more like Murray as an example of retrieval. He is, in fact, recovering the way the church and her servants, her teachers, her ministers, used to think about themselves as both exegetes and theologians. Many of those great medieval systems that we look back on and marvel at the accomplishment of all these summa, those were published alongside collections of biblical commentaries written by the same theologians, but in a different kind of publication. Uh, Murray is very much bringing back, as it were, what was lost with the rise of historical criticism, the influence of Gobbler and the separation of theology and exegesis or biblical interpretation. He is a theologian who works exegetically, and he is an exegete who thinks theologically. I think besides the recovery of that important part of the tradition, um, there's also a recovery in terms of the tradition of the dispositional. Mm -hmm. Uh, you read Murray and you cannot help but come away thinking, this is a serious man. Yeah, yeah. And he knows he's involved in a serious task. Yeah. Um, I read a lot of commentaries on Romans, and there's something about how, certainly not all, but an increasing number of more recent efforts, they almost have a, an air of lightness to them. Mm -hmm. um, there's not a serious engagement with the difficulty, the, the real difficulty of many of the questions uh, related to the Book of Romans. But compare that to how John Murray introduced the second part of his commentary when he waited, what, five, six more years before he came out with the second part. Here's his preface, a line from his preface to volume two or part two. He says, exposition of the word of God is an arduous task. It is also a great joy. 
No undertaking is more sacred. For that reason, it is demanding. But by the same token, it is rewarding. It is the voice of the eternal God we hear in Scripture, and His glory is revealed. When the day will dawn and the day star arise in our hearts, we shall find no discrepancy between the witness of Holy Scripture and the glory then manifested. This faith demands the care and reverence with which Scripture should be handled, and it undergirds the confidence with which its testimony is to be received and obeyed. That sounds a lot like the Murray who would advise Van Til maybe not mm -hmm. go into systematic theology mm -hmm. unless you, you can do that. And I mean, who can really do it satisfactorily? Mm -hmm. Murray is a great example of a, of a seriously successful attempt in many ways. I think the tradition he recovers is not only the theologian who's an exegete and the exegete is a theologian. I think it's the dispositional as well. This is God's word and it requires and it deserves all of us and the hard work involved in reading it well. Yeah, that's a great word. You always get the sense when you read Murray, uh, perhaps particularly in his commentary, that he's always under the text. <clears throat> he's not standing over the text. That's a great image. And that it's actually a, it's a work of devotion for him to open up everything that's in that text accurately, faithfully, which is why it makes it a great commentary for preaching, mm -hmm. because he's, a, he's approaching it mm -hmm. expositionally. Yeah, I think with that as well, just hearing Mark's great articulation of that, I think there's a, there's a component of Murray's commentary that is thoroughly devotional. But if you think about devotional commentaries, this is not a devotional commentary, right? But it is inextricably uh, devout. And, and it's, it is, um, uh, it's undeniably so. And so I think it's interesting that, that Murray is not afraid to address the tough questions, but the way in which he even addresses them with the clarity, you read line upon line and go, man, that is a beautiful sentence. Yeah. But it's a beautiful sentence, not because he's trying to be a great writer, but he's actually articulating the things of God and he knows that. Mm -hmm. And there's really an attempt to be precise but also to be doxological yeah. in the way in which he writes. Yeah. And you always get the sense that um, <clears throat> that he's, he's not, well, you know, it's just clearly he's not speculating. speculating. Yes. I think perhaps because he understood he was writing in the service of the church and he's trying to lead people into the truth, not demonstrate what he may have knowledge of. Mm -hmm.